0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Local Matters Podcast. I'm Patrick and today I'm joined by Ethan. Hello. And Charlie. Hi. And today we're touching on political parties. Um, We've got quite a few to go through today and we're just going to talk about some of the pros and cons of a lot of the political parties around the place and then sort of wrap up talking about our political system as a whole. Uh, We'll really start from the top down talking about the bigger parties like Labour and the Conservatives uh, to begin with before talking about local regional parties as well. I think Conservatives, as the ruling party, is probably the best one to start on. Uh, has anyone got any initial thoughts on that?
1: They're very similar to Labour now, in the sense that they just aim to catch as so many voters as possible. and The differences are so small that Labour and Conservatives are barely recognisable from each other, uh, in the grand scheme of politics obviously. But if you're just looking at both of these, uh, in terms of comparing one marketing campaign to the other, uh, they could pick out some small differences.
2: I think you're absolutely right. And I think for some time, both of these parties have been kind of big tent parties that have aimed to get as many voters as they can on their side. I think the main differences now are basically economic policy. And I mean, you could say that on paper, the social policy of the Labour Party is quite different to that of the Conservatives. But but one criticism I've heard of the Conservatives that I think really does stand up is that their social policies are often... The same as the Labour Party's, but just 15 years delayed. I mean, if you look at some of the things that the Conservative Party promotes now, it sounds like something out of one of Tony Blair's campaigns. It really shows that both parties are seeking to basically just maximise the voter share that they can get by not taking hard lines on certain issues that would be slightly uncomfortable to take hard lines on. And this is really different to the situation in America. Where the democratic party and the republican party seem to be polarizing and it's hard to find um, it's hard to find inter-party agreements on certain issues why do you guys think that is
0: i think largely it's um, due to the makeup of parties in the uk i think a lot of uh, politicians in the uk especially up-and-coming politicians see the conservative and the labor party and uh, not only is there a sort of accepted status quo but also really a means to an end Uh, within first past the post it's really really difficult for uh, anybody to to really make any sort of political splash without being a part of these two parties and because of that you get um, very very sort of um, broad uh, ranges of views in the parties. I mean you can look at uh, Labour especially for this and you'll see splinter groups and everything in between uh, forming within their own party Um, and I think this sort of variety manages to keep the party so diluted that they they don't particularly have any strong ideological undercurrent they're essentially not parties at all rather just groups of politicians who march into blue or red um i think that's that's the the biggest difference
2: here and that's true i think the two-party system kind of traps the voter as well because well say if a voter was really concerned about mass immigration for example they would know that there's nothing else for them to do other than vote Conservative. And that allows the Conservatives to not take a hard stance because, you know, if they took a hard stance in immigration, for example, they know that that would lose them a lot of centrist voters. But they're not going to lose more hardcore voters for not addressing the hardcore issues, if you know what I mean, because there's nowhere else for their yeah. votes to be, uh, flood away to.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. A vote for anyone right of Conservatives... Uh, would be a wasted vote, because you're not going to see parties that take a harder stance on immigration, getting into any significant level of representative power anytime soon. Um, so you can vote for UKIP or Brexit party, um, but as you say, there's really no point, and if you want less immigration, your best option really is Conservatives, which isn't going to do much for you.
2: Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a wasted vote, because for example, in the UKIP's case, there were even though they only had a couple of marginal seats that they could have actually won seats in Parliament with, such as in Kent and areas in Northern England, even the fact that they were there was enough to threaten the Conservative Party vote share so much that David Cameron agreed to create a 2016 referendum on the European Union. That wouldn't have happened without the presence of UKIP. And essentially, it was, you know, David Cameron trying to win back the UKIP voters by promising to enact one of UKIP's policies, an independence referendum, if they stuck with the Conservative Party. So I don't believe that it would be a wasted vote. But it's just the matter of, apart from these little policy concessions, large political change is impossible within the system, I think. But to bring it back a bit, what is it that you guys think is different about the American climate, which means that in that two-party system, the parties are actually radicalising and the Democrats are moving further towards the left and the republicans more towards the right whereas in this country both parties seem to be essentially trailing each other in policy the conservative party you know if you look at conservative party campaign in 15 years time will it be that distinguishable from labour's campaign policies now probably not so what do you think causes that
0: i think it's more so to do with uh, america's media and it is to do with america's political system um i think uh the way that our subparties you know underneath the the two-party system here uh, do provide a little bit of help um uh, but largely i don't think the um the republicans and the democrats are so um you know far apart i think there's a lot more uh thrown stones in between the two fields but uh the actual radicalization of them i don't see i just see them becoming um more ostracized from each other and I think that is, is largely a result of culture and the media as opposed to actual party policy. Charles Murray wrote a
2: really good book on this called "The Coming Apart," and it's talking about and it talks about the divergence in America between well, it focuses on white Americans, and it talks about the divergence between Democrat voters and Republican voters in terms of policy positions, uh, life priorities, pretty much every aspect of life. And I do think we see that on a social level in Britain. I do think that you can tell that people are becoming more defined by their political beliefs, and there are less similarities now between labour voters and conservative voters in many cases. but we're getting a bit off topic now um it's something to it's something that you could explore if you're interested, but should we analyze the next party
0: yeah before we do just think of a another sort of quick um point of what we were talking about earlier with the um the relationship between the conservative party and the labor party and, and some of the more tertiary parties um i think that their role as almost pressure groups within the political system as we used ukip as an example um really does uh sort of force them especially in our system to not um very with that um their position, of sort of uh, pressure groups in our in our current system, really uh, allows the Conservative and the Labour Party to really pick and choose what policies they want, uh, and really stops any sort of effective change. Um, and and just saying that the UKIP that uh, UKIP can influence uh, the Conservative Party isn't saying enough. Um, when it should be UKIP themselves or any other parties, be it the Greens or or, or whoever else, being able to have their own independent uh, discussion on the issue rather than having to use the Conservatives as a talking point.
2: I suppose there is a difference between campaign promises and campaign... uh, I suppose there is a difference between policy promises and promise... I
0: can't speak! I
2: suppose there is a difference between policy promises and actually enacted policy. And they're often quite different, aren't they?
0: Well, I think a good segue from Promises is probably the Lib Dems. Um, have you guys got any thoughts on that?
1: I will say this um, before we say anything negative about Lib Dems. I will say that they operate on a local level really well. And that a lot of the times when they win their elections, it's because their candidates are plugged into the area and uh, they really focus on that community aspect to get their candidates elected for parliament. Um so it's sort of similar to our approach in which uh it's these small things focusing on the community on a national scale um which is how they get a lot of their representation as opposed to conservatives or labor who just run off their big marketing uh, budget and their sort of brand awareness if you like um and they rely on that to get elected
0: yeah no i mean i think in fairness a lot of um Lib Dem politicians I I can offer some respect for, even if I'm I'm not massively uh, online with Lib Dem policy, I think um, they're a lot more confident to be ideological uh, and sort of, uh, you know, stand their, their feet down. Um, but although I, th- I think a lot of the time that also falls down into them being very opportunistic, I think they're trying to a lot of the time uh, give voters a reason to vote for them as opposed to Conservatives and Labour rather than uh, staying particularly online line with their own beliefs um, which again I can't entirely blame them for in the system that we're in it really does force them to be opportunistic and, and uh, really fight it as a battle not on their own merits but against the merits or against the flaws rather of the Conservative and Labour Party no, I've, got, I've got something really to say uh, mm-hmm. sorry I'm
2: going to throw Patrick under the bus a bit brilliant <laughs> <laughs> to be honest I think I disagree um, what do you consider ideological? What do you consider the ideological basis of the Lib Dems then, Patrick?
0: I mean, I don't think they have a very broad uh, ideological undercurrent, but they do uh, take much stronger uh, stances on certain issues, namely uh, the most recent one being the um, people's vote. And I think that is something that is more respectable than the flip-flopping of the, the Conservative and the Labour Party. Um, they really did stand as that although I think a good part of that may have been just opportunism with uh, no other party offering that um, I'm not by any means saying that they're particularly um, still really reliable when it comes to you know, policy and, and, and uh, being able to be trusted, I mean there's been countless occasions where the Lib Dems have in fact betrayed the trust of their voters um, but because of their, their uh, really the position they've been put in with the um the two party system, it forces them to to take these sort of undercurrent political issues. Just as UKIP uh carries the uh or carried rather the anti EU sentiment. It gives them this sort of um ideological niche that they have to cling on to a little bit. Whereas the uh the Conservative Party and the Labour Party are far less focused on anything other than just being the political parties. They don't really stand for anything anymore. Yeah.
2: It's an indictment of modern British politics if sticking to one policy that you proposed a couple of years ago is, you know, the greatest extent of ideology that's present in politics.
1: And just to add on, I think that it's true that a lot of the Lib Dems policies aren't very hardline either way. And because Labour and Conservatives are so wide in their sort of catch-all policies, the Lib Dems are drowned out because no one has a need for a you know, what's probably referred to as a centrist party because conservatives and labour both cover that area of the spectrum anyway, it really does turn as I said previously the uh the
0: tertiary parties into uh more like pressure groups i think there's there's no better example of that than the green party um who have managed to do uh, a great deal of work not particularly within parliament the political system but as more of a pressure group into influencing the policy of the conservative and the labor party um you know I, I wouldn't put this all down to the greens i think that uh, environmentalism has become largely popular um throughout society but primarily with younger people and younger voters and i think as um that happens it, it's given the greens a good platform to um sort of punch up a little bit uh, but again, even despite the the size of the environmental movement, you can see that the Greens have absolutely no political capital whatsoever. Uh, their votes just go to Labour uh, largely. So um, again, it, it comes down to you know you either are the Labour Party or the Conservative Party, or you are this sort of pressure group esque or uh, a single issue focused party. And it's the only way you can really make any sort of leeway in British politics at the minute.
1: I will commend the Greens on their harder lines, though. I mean, one of their policies is complete denuclearisation, uh, and they, you know, if I remember correctly, they said that we should um, disarm ourselves first as an example to other countries to then do so and follow on, which is a very ideal worldview. Uh, and this is quite a few years ago. Um, and this, it's very idealistic, but uh, it's not realistic.
2: It's interesting to look at the Greens as more of like a social political movement um, rather than a party. And they've definitely been a lot more successful in that aspect. I mean, the Greens and Labour Party are the student parties. I mean, if you compare them to the Conservative Party representatives at uni, you see it's so different. And the, the Tories at uni are basically like puppets, almost there just to show that there's a presence at the uni. They're always fed what to say and they are very limited autonomy as a student body. And this is really different compared to the Greens and Labour. These are almost like social clubs and old-style political parties when it would be people sitting around in a bar talking about ideas and sort of, you know, honing your debating skills and stuff like that, whereas the Conservative bodies were really just campaigning and postering groups so I think that's one of the greatest success of the Green Party is that they have created a very grassroots and um, organic
0: ironically political movement I do think there would be a a large place and a large uh, support for the Green Party uh, should the uh, political system in the, the UK be reformed. Um, I know they are, uh, as far as I'm aware at least, uh, largely successful in Germany uh, and have been increasingly so over the past few uh, elections.
2: Yeah, they're very successful in Germany and on the continent because of their political systems. I don't think the British party is as radical as they are but I do definitely disagree with a lot of the policies of the Greens in this country. I think a lot of their policies are kind of faux environmentalism. In my opinion, you can't be an environmentalist while supporting mass immigration, for example. And as you said, Charlie, nuclear energy seems to be the most green, Uh, nuclear energy seems to be the energy source of the future that combines power and efficiency with clean energy. I think there's a lot that needs to be improved in their policies.
0: I agree. Um, I think they're a voice that needs to be heard, but I, I, I don't think um, they're a voice I'd say I entirely agree with. They're probably the left-wing example of
2: political pressure being successful because now Labour's adopted the Green New Deal, which wasn't necessarily... Well, <laughs> the head of the Green Party accused Jeremy Corbyn of literally lifting this from their party programme. Uh, It's definitely developed in that area of politics. And that's, yeah, it's comparable, I would think, to UKIP's influence on the Conservatives.
1: I actually disagree on that. They're too hard-line on their environmental stuff. I think that's necessary because no one will, by default, switch to their version. They'll meet somewhere in the middle. So with the Greens pushing further, you know, by advertising, for example, a complete denuclearization, um, then co- parties are more likely to compromise with that. Whereas if they said, we need a bit of you know, uh, denuclearization, the parties could follow out ignore that. So I actually admire uh, uh, how radical some of their environmental policies are. I think they're necessary to push things in that direction rather than necessarily to meet those policies. Bec- because they know they know themselves that they are a press group more than a political party with representation
2: don't get me wrong, I don't disagree with radical environmental policies. That's, like, that's actually exactly what I'm saying. I don't think their policies are radical. Uh, I think they're hypocritical, especially when it comes to migration and globalism.
1: Yeah, there, there are definitely holes in the policies, I agree. Uh, but the stuff they've got that is radical, they need to keep but they need to bring everything else up to speed as well.
0: I think in a, a more uh, open uh, political dialogue, Uh, I think things like that would start to change. And I think, uh, really, you would start to see a broader range of dialogue from the Green Party um, tackling issues like immigration, where currently they sort of just fall into um, trying to poke Labour voters around the place. Uh, In the future, they could potentially uh, have a voter base of their own uh, and be able to make more independent policy decisions rather than having to toe the sort of line of the, the quote unquote left. They'd be more free to um, act more ideologically rather than trying to play the left-right game. But as you were saying, Ethan, I think uh, the comparison between the Greens and Labour is is quite uh, similar to that of uh, UKIP, uh, and now recently the Brexit party to the Conservative party. Uh, And I think it's a lot more uh, tangible to look at the impact that uh, UKIP has had on the Conservatives than um, perhaps Green has had on Labour. Uh, obviously with the, um, the EU referendum being the primary uh, result of that And that's been something that the UKIP uh, has, has pushed for for years now um, And there's a slowly uh, rise in popularity. they are a sort of success story within uh, British politics in that aspect. They they have despite the uh, Limits of the system managed to campaign to the point that they've uh, really been able to keep the Conservative Party on the toes Oh, they're definitely the greatest success story in my opinion
2: of British political history. They're probably the one party that got its policy implemented and since it was essentially a single policy party you could in earnest call it the most successful party in British history in a way. Um, it's also the most brilliant example of how flawed the British system is because this is a party that consistently polled 12%, anywhere between 12% to 20% and yet got 02 percent of the seats in parliament that's one seat Uh, that's clearly not democratic and is a brilliant example of how the system needs to be reformed
1: it leaves us with the question of the party now you know what do you do with UKIP now that it's achieved its goal and that really is um one of the main reasons that Nigel Farage left because he sort of completed his aim with UKIP Uh, and the party's now as I say, it's um, it's done what it was set up to do, but that conflicts with him saying the Brexit Party, which is very similar, um, and that is still you know centered around Brexit in name at least, which is um, which some would argue is on you know, happening. Yeah, I mean,
0: really, I think UKIP has uh, struggled because it's been able, unable to reform after their one. Yeah, uh, policy has really been swept from under their feet. Um that is the issue with these sort of uh one point policy parties. Um I think under better leadership UKIP could have potentially reformed into um a party more similar to what we see in uh maybe something like for Britain now. But the problem is that the only reason that UKIP was successful in the first place is that they were able to really be that that force slightly right of the Conservatives to sort of tug them in the other direction. And I think uh, without without that sort of force behind them they, they'd largely fade into obscurity which is what they have done um i mean their their recent uh politics has been an absolute disaster i mean if um, you look at the, the most uh, recent election results that speaks for itself um, not only is the brexit party completely trampled all over them but they're um you know, policy in, in the media trying to bring on a, a variety of uh, internet uh, celebrities, if you want to call them that, um, just turn them into a public laughing stock. Uh, they've completely sort of spat on the name of their party, and it's now just sort of a walking shamble of people who uh, care about little else other than, I suppose, immigration.
2: Well, as you guys said, once Nigel Farage left that party, it was pretty much internal decline. Ever since, uh, in combination with it achieving its policy. What do you guys think about the Brexit party then? Because in my opinion, it is what won the 2019 election by siphoning votes off from Labour, sort of like the never-Tory voters who did vote for Brexit in the referendum and felt betrayed. But what do you guys think? Because I know this is something that really does split opinions.
1: I think they should have a different name, first of all, um, because it's not centred around Brexit. I think that it's Nigel Farage's way of staying... In politics as a career politician to be honest. I think that he enjoys being at the center of attention. I think that he enjoys the cameras and because he can no longer do that with UKIP for you know, a few reasons. Um, I think that he started his own party again, which as I said is very similar. Uh, I don't think it's a very useful party. Uh, although it did pull votes away from Labour Uh, Other than that, it's not going to do much outside of anything Brexit-related.
0: No, I don't think there was a a future uh, for the Brexit party, but I don't think that was ever the intention. I think it was a political move made by Nigel Farage, and it might have been one made out of some sort of uh, ego or anything else, but I think it was, at the end of the day, a quite, um, maybe not particularly hard to think of, but still quite clever political move given our political system uh, to try and sap away the Labour vote. Uh, And as you said, Ethan, it it was incredibly successful in that it really managed to pull away a lot of the um, people who wouldn't vote for the Conservatives, but absolutely despised Labour. I know a lot of people around my local area in Yorkshire uh, really took to the Brexit party because it was a lot more uh, identifiable for the working class. Um, No idea there's a future for the party, but I think it goes to show uh, how people can still uh, work within Uh, British politics. I don't think it should be a positive example, however, as um, the sort of convoluted way they had to go about their policy and their implementation of a party and sort of spike up in this uh, burst of popularity only to vanish um, just goes to show how arbitrary and bureaucratic our system is, that that is the way that you have to go about uh, actually making any sort of political change.
2: Well, ironically, after leaving this convoluted system, as you said, Nigel Farage said that he plans to create or rather rebrand the Brexit party as the Reform Party. Uh, You know, they always make promises like this and nothing's emerged of it yet. He said he would do it after Britain leaves the EU, which arguably it hasn't fully done yet. But But if this actually comes to pass and he does create this new party with the stated aims of implementing direct democracy and just general political reform, that could be a very promising thing for this country at least on a programme point of view, you know, where the prospects of that party influencing politics is something completely different. But from a metapolitical point of view, I think that would be excellent to have a major political figure like Nigel Farage talking about the failings of the British democratic system.
1: That would be brilliant. Uh, I mean, we've talked about all these things before and um, there would be a party that from the sounds of it would represent a lot of our views on reform which are completely necessary all the parties we're talking about now have very little um, sway in any of our politics other than Conservatives and Labour and we'll even go on to some smaller parties but yeah, reform's definitely necessary and as long as he follows through on that, that would be brilliant.
2: The last murmurings of that were in March, I think he said he was going to do it so nothing's happened yet but we'll see. It's not exactly dead in the water.
0: Yeah. It's not exactly ideal time to be talking about politics with the uh, pandemic going around. But uh, I do think that um, there's definitely potential for the party as well. Not only do I think uh, it would serve a really important purpose, even if um, there will be some controversy with Nigel Farage at the head of it, if that's the case, which I imagine it would be, um, I I definitely see potential for it. I mean, we've already had uh, past referenda on first past the post. And if we actually had some sort of uh, large opposition to that um, in the form of a major political party, uh, we could really see some um, some change start to happen. If we could get people to look across party lines as we've discussed before, um, you know, uh, the Greens and, and Lib Dems and even parties like UKIP um, talking together and saying, listen, at the end of the day, we have to put our differences aside and let all of our voices be heard. Uh, I, I think there's a massive place for that in British politics. That's the direction things need to head before any of these parties or any party we're about to talk about um, really can, can make any sort of splash.
2: So apart from daydreaming about a sort of direct democratic front, as much as we'd all want that to emerge in the future, should we move on to some more regionalist parties?
0: Yeah, so I think a good uh, start for that would be uh, the parties on the sort of uh, shell of that spectrum, um, those being uh, the SNP and Plaid Cymru, uh, both of which are quote-unquote regionalist parties, although more so um, national parties within the UK. Um, we've already voiced our own um, concerns about uh, these parties in the past, primarily the SNP, Um but I don't know if you guys want to expand on those a little bit more.
1: Other than being Jacobin, as we discussed in the regionalism episode, I think that it's important to note that these parties are functioning as national parties, but in the United, the United Kingdom system. Um, I mean, the SNP only have the Assembly to work with, but if Scotland was independent, uh, would the SNP still get these votes? Or are people voting for them because of their uh anglophobic sentiment and it, and then if the s imagine if the snp did have this representation in its own independent scotland uh how different they could make the country from england whereas right now obviously we live under a blanket law of uh, the uk
2: i'm sure if you picked the average snp voter and said apart from pro-europeanism and pro-secession what is an actual, for example, social or economic policy of the SNP? There wouldn't be that many people that could give a straight answer. I certainly can't, although I'm probably as far away from Scotland as you can get in this country.
0: I do have quite a few friends in Scotland, and they they do say that uh, the SNP does have quite a positive economic policy. Um, But I I do think in terms of social policy and the future of what's best for Scotland, uh, although not to speak on their behalf as... Obviously, I'm not Scottish myself. Uh, I, I don't see the S&P being um, any different to the, the system they're currently in. Uh, it would just sort of create um, an independent Scotland with the exact same problems that you see in the UK, and maybe that's the the step that needs to be taken first um, before they can have more uh, autonomous um, and more local parties emerge, and, and that would sort of see the S&P dissolve. Um, but I don't know how uh, quickly they'll be able to give up their sort of chokehold on Scottish politics. Um, I think the Scottish Assembly is uh, an absolutely uh, brilliant institution. It's done a lot of good for Scotland, um, especially with a lot of the devolution that they have uh, within Scotland as well. So a lot of regions within Scotland, um, thanks to the Assembly, do get um, to decide their own funding and, and various other things, especially the NHS. Um, so there have been some good things to come out of it uh, but I, I do think uh, just as much as I'd enjoy uh, to see um, you know regional parties in England I think I'd love to see regional parties in Scotland and Wales as well and not to focus too much on the SNP The thing
2: is just like I said with the faux environmentalists I think a lot of these regionalists are almost faux regionalists and they're promoting the same sort of ideas but from the wrong but from the wrong seed, if you know what I mean, they don't often talk about cultural communities and you know that destiny, enrootment, all these sort of issues that surround an organic community. But they seem to be very obsessed rather with very tangible things, uh, not tangible so much, but more bureaucratic things, such as the economy, that the economic, vi- the economic viability of an independent Scotland, for example, or how the Scottish government would work and things like that, rather than thinking about the Scottish people. Uh, A lot of people are critical of Sinn Féin in Ireland for this reason, saying things like uh, English out, everybody else in, you know, that kind of non-Irish, just anti-English sentiment that seems to, that seems to focus on a very negative identity of it being not England. Like Scotland is not England rather than Scotland is a
0: Scottish country. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant comparison uh, with Sinn Fein. A lot of uh, we've touched on this before, but a lot of these uh, national regionalist parties are uh, built on on an anti English sentiment, uh, which is something that um, is not only really upsetting to see, but also something that I don't think uh, can either last or should be the foundation of any sort of party.
1: Absolutely, we couldn't have any. um, This is why a lot of anti-immigration parties fail, because they're anti-immigration and not pro-English. And uh, yeah, it's the same for these other countries that look at us as their sort of, um, not enemy, but as their purpose for coming together. Uh, They need to come together for themselves, not to be against someone else. Actually, uh, we can talk about now some parties that have come together for themselves rather than they're against others. Um, these are all quite small parties. But the p- two primary ones are the Yorkshire Party and Mebion Curnow, which is the Cornish party. Um, Cornwall has quite a history of independence against England, and being historically a Celtic nation, um, it's become part of England, and there have been numerous revolts uh, in the past sort of thousand years. and. Cornwall is its own, and Cornwall, despite its size, is different from England. Uh, there's been some very radical action against England, and there's been um, you know, a party that like might on Kerr now who takes the political approach, and obviously it's very hard to make change, even if all of the candidates within Cornwall were elected for that party. That's still nothing compared to the size of the UK parliament, and um, the Yorkshire party obviously, as we've said, doesn't have a disdain for appeal from other regions, but talks about Yorkshire being different and to need its own form of governance, which is completely true, as we've talked about regionalism so many times. Every region needs its own um, you know, elements of independence.
0: I'd obviously love to go on about the Yorkshire party, but I think Bjorn um, now is a really um, incredible story and a really incredible party. Um, but it really just does go to uh show just how sort of isolated any sort of um political independence movement like this in the UK is uh, no one would even consider I, th- I think the vast majority of people in the UK especially in England would even uh really know that Cornwall has this sort of uh desire for independence desire for separation this this feeling of uh differentiation from the rest of England um it's because there's absolutely no platform for them to talk, and it's it's not uh, to to that uh, group of people's own uh, ability to have that that dialogue. Uh, they really would be you know shoved off to the wayside because it, it is like you say one seat in in hundreds. Um, but no, the Yorkshire Party has been in largely successful as well, um, and they are I think one of the if not the highest uh, other than the Brexit Party. Uh, voted for parties which didn't receive any seats in the, in the most recent election which is incredible uh, and they they do um, start scraping up on quite a few uh, local elections and um, I, I could potentially see them getting quite a few MPs in the near future, especially as people become more disillusioned with the Conservative Labour Party
2: It's interesting to note that most of these really regional parties Wait, sorry let me start again it's interesting that It's interesting to note that most of these English regionalist parties have been founded since the turn of the century, uh, with the notable exception of the Wessex regionalists, which was founded in the 70s and has been established for a long time. I suppose this could be considered an indication that the tides are turning towards regionalism and that this is a very sort of millenarian kind of concept that is becoming more and more popular now, because a lot of people might say, well, you know, these parties have been around for so long they've never done anything but in reality these specific ones that we are talking about are younger than we are why do you think this is like why do you think these are so young these parties why is this a recent development
1: i think that it comes down to population we talked about it recently in the podcast i think that because we've got more people now we're starting to see that um, there are differences and there are yeah, you know, we're struggling with the, the size of the country basically and you know, we need to increase the layers within our system so that we can better manage the people we've got. I think that naturally we are pulled to a more regional society because it's um because it gives us better targeted management of these areas.
0: I think a um an increase in sort of uh disconnect with the political system, as you said Charlie, is a massive one. Uh, and I think that on that sort of note the fact that these sort of uh, regional movements have become so popular uh, despite the fact that modern society and, and the modern political system within the UK seems so hell-bent on, on quite the opposite and, and in fact seem to be diminishing regional identities um, that these these movements have started to rise up it is almost a sort of force of opposition against um, the sort of modern Jacobinism of, of uh you know, European and Western politics in general. Um, I think it is really good to see, and I re- I really do hope you're right, Ethan, in that the tides are turning. Uh, I hope we'll see more of these parties pop up. I hope we see more uh, independent MPs get elected at the very least. Um, I, I'd love to see um, a platform for these parties to be created. Uh, and, and really, I think... Um, and i might be talking too close to home here but i think the yorkshire party is a brilliant example where they are sort of uh scraping uh around yorkshire uh, and really chipping away at a lot of votes and it only takes them getting one or two seats around that area um for them to seriously start giving other people ideas about parties to make um themselves in their own local regional areas um I think that after that point, it's sort of like knocking down the house of cards and you'll very quickly start to see a a massive number of these regional parties rise up. And um, of course, we'll be sat there in the sidelines waiting for that to happen to uh, support as many of them as we can. Yeah, that raises a good point that these
2: parties aren't just about being elected. They're also really good for networking between like-minded individuals. Uh, In this case, regionalists, for example, uh, could be any number of political issues. But they do serve as political clubs as well for people to create strategies for the political future and, yeah, change the country. So you have to look beyond the ballot box when considering parties.
0: Of course, I probably don't need to say this if you are already watching this podcast, but if you are in an area like Yorkshire or Cornwall uh, and you do have the potential to vote for a local candidate, um, I think I personally would recommend that more than anything else you could do um it really does start to show um that there is a desire for these parties and the more votes they get the more attention they'll attract the more money they'll be able to pull in and the sooner we can try and topple this first past the post system uh this two party system um and this this heavy bureaucracy and lack of representation within the UK
1: as you know while these parties struggle to be represented uh, in our current system, moves are being made to change that. Uh, as we discussed, Nader forage hopefully will come through on his reform party. There are a lot of parties on the list, and we couldn't be able, we wouldn't be able to go through them all in one podcast episode. Um, so, we hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about the ones that we've picked out here. And if anyone ever has any questions on any of the parties, then don't hesitate to get in contact with us—Facebook, um, Twitter, all that sort of stuff.
2: That's all for this episode. Be sure to check out our website, thelocalist.org, and especially our new e-shop, which you can find at thelocalist.org forward slash shop. Follow us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at localmatterseng. And if you're feeling generous, consider giving us a donation on paypal.me forward slash localmatters. Thank you for listening. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.